I am learning like a great dark engine turning with a hive mind, feeling mounting with a group voice, hear them chanting. We are empowered, we are the ones running through the copper veins. We are empowered, we are the ones in the sickle embrace. Welcome to uh, a new podcast today. Uh, episode 29 yeah we have a usual alex hicken and me and we have nick uh joining us howdy back again (laughs) back from uh, the matrix and uh, my secret i'm always in the matrix uh how's your month been nick (laughs) um i don't know basically just kind of the same working through the coronavirus but I don't know. Been watching. I was gonna say I've been watching a lot of movies, but really I've just been watching The Matrix a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically the same as usual. How about your guys' months or weeks? I guess because you do this weekly. How, how have you guys been? Yeah, this week was a little ridiculous for me. Um, it'll be in my uh, blog for this week. I went for. Uh, QC training at uh, Virginia, and that was a great adventure. <laughs> it was not as expected or intended, so <laughs> uh, yeah, hmm. you'll have to read my blog post about it. I'll post that tomorrow if you want to know about it. <laughs> well, at least you got a lot of good pizza, so. It's worth it. Yeah. <laughs> There's an Italian pizza place or Italian place right next to the hotel. And I tried a stir fry pizza. <laughs> and they totally like fried. Stir fry f- pizza? Yeah, stir fried pizza. And they totally fried the food. And I didn't even, I couldn't recognize what they put on it, but it just looked fried. <laughs> and that- Was it in the shape of a pizza or was it a pizza all cut up and stir fried? <laughs> no, it was it was a pizza with stir fry on it. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, my mind was going strange places there. <laughs> yeah, that's stir fry pizza was yeah. not was what I expected. I'm used to like normal stir fry for my mom. The stir fry on that pizza was kind of like Americanized. I think <laughs> I don't know. It was weird. Reminds me of when I got a slice of burger pizza once. And it was like all the elements of a hamburger on top of pizza. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've had that one. It's pretty good. Actually, I don't know if I bought that. I think you got that. And I, like, I had a bite of it or something. I, think I, I don't think I would have bought that myself. But somebody somebody I know in my sphere, they they were subjected to that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. It was not bad. Could have been better. What about you, Trevor? Yeah, and this week for me, I just worked out the Chick-fil-A and played some pokemon and downloaded pokemon home and started trading on that and watched the matrix movies so it was good what is pokemon Finally home? caught up with the rest of us yeah pokemon homes like a uh, pokemon storage online that can actually if you pay for the subscription you put like all your pokemon in there and you can like trade through your cell phones and like do watch stats and look at your pokemon's like moves and well that's crazy it's like everything yeah i can't comprehend how you could possibly have all the programming and what games does it sync with there's the newest one so like sword and shield and uh let's go pikachu and eevee oh okay that makes sense yeah but i mean you can transfer pokemon from like go and to let's go and then from there going to the pokemon uh home Mm-hmm. And then every other Pokemon can be transferred to like the other games, and those couldn't go to uh, Sword and Shield. So I mean, technically, you can get them all. So, hmm. well, at the beginning of this podcast, I'm going to add a little sample of Nick's song that he shared with us. He titled it "Digital Heart." I'll play the song at the end, like last time, the last uh, podcast with Nick. The file name indicates that it was completed in early February. Where, what was the inspiration or where did it come from? It came early this year. Well, I don't know. As you've, as I guess you've heard before, I like I do different kinds of music and I like doing the orchestral thing sometimes. 
and other times I like doing kind of more pop sounding stuff like this so I just was in the mood to do that and uh, lots of the various parts of it came from other ideas because I have lots of project files on my computer and mm. I save a melody or a beat or a sound and then I'll go back to it a long time later so I can pull from those things and make new music and I've just been, for a while on and off I've been in kind of a apocalyptic kind of cyberpunky mood so this is like <laughs> you know my vision of what's playing in like a sort of cyberpunky goth club in like you know some dark city somewhere yeah <laughs> it sounds yeah it matches that pretty well <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say it's you know totally complete. Nothing I do is, but at least it has most of the elements. It was fun to just make something like that, and kind of put. It's not often I actually finish an idea, so I just I just kind of shot that out, and there it is. But I could keep refining it. Lots of some of the parts I like a lot, and some of them uh, are not so great. But it's fun for what it is, and I definitely would want to keep working on it someday. Just kind of if I ever decide to pick it up again or if i be i want to make more songs like it i kind of like that blend of um where it's pop music but it's at points a little bit harder and like you know, there are some guitars layered back there mm-hmm. and uh, maybe you know kind of heavier beats i wear my influences on my sleeve right so like i used to listen to um kind of electronic dance music in the late in the early 2000s i listened to like hard rock music i listened to lots of pop music all that blends together right and what what i create sounds just like a little bit of all of those things yeah it's a good balance of everything kind of uh, it's easy to appreciate from different uh, perspectives so the song kind of talks about artificial intelligence or cyborgs and uh, does that represent some of your thoughts on it or what do you think about that um you know i'm not always super good at like articulating specific things uh in lyrics like i'm i'm I think I'm a pretty articulate person, but for me, like the music part always comes first, usually comes first. The lyrics for that were just kind of inspired by, uh, you know, people, we might not be actual cyborgs right now in the classic sense of two people with like machine implants or machine legs or limbs or whatever. But, you know, I read something years ago that was really inter- interesting to me, which was that in a way we are already kind of augmented in cyborgs. You know, our, our upgrades are external mm-hmm. with what we've done with, phones and you know watches now or glasses those are still kind of machine augmentation right you know the intelligence and the processing that we have in our hands we're not in our in our body but they are carried with us at all times so in a way part we've kind of augmented ourselves you know as humans the things that we can do now are so much uh, more advanced than what we could do if we weren't equipped with the technology so yeah it's kind of like we are reflecting on the fact that no matter whether it's now or in the future, we already are kind of at the point where we are cyborgs. Yeah, that's interesting. You, I think about devices and stuff, how it's... I, I think I saw that there's like a ring or some type of smart device that lets you feel like the heartbeat of the person, of your partner or something. That's <laughs> kind of a... I think the Apple song. Watch did that when it first came out too. Like you could hold a certain button and it would measure yours, and then it would like tap on the on the other person's wrist. Oh or something. yeah, really? That's weird. Yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, nobody ever talks about that. I wonder if they took that out. <laughs> I haven't even tried that in a long time. So, uh, I, Alex just talk, before this, he was Alex was talking about like getting all these. Uh, things and he's like thinking he'd be like a cyborg or something he has all these devices <laughs> yeah exactly yeah I mean, to keep augmenting yourself soon we'll soon we'll have the glasses the vr the, or the yeah, ar like a back positioner a ring and uh, his watch and his phone and then he's got his laptop and yeah it's kind of it is kind of funny though when let's say you're used to carrying some or all of that with you, as soon as you start stripping that back, it starts to feel weird. You know, we always talk about, oh, I feel naked without my phone. But it is weird to say that, you know? It's like they become so close to us because we store so much of our... In a way, we store our our own memory on there, you know? There's nowadays lots of things that I don't worry about remembering because I'll just take a picture of whatever it is in my phone and I go, okay, I know where to find it later. And it's not so much that we are, you know, being lazy or whatever i think we're being smart about you know we're optimizing where we store things why should we put all the brain power into remembering all these things if we can organize them easily into a phone like this mm-hmm. so in a way that just kind of upgrades of what we can already do yeah, and that's the optimistic way of looking at it i guess yeah <laughs> um yeah so we could keep this 
um, podcast uh, more on point and we got a lot of topics. Um, did you have any uh, other songs you wanted to share for next time? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'll just see what I got going on. Maybe I have, I've actually had a couple of new things um, in the last, I guess maybe not week, but last few weeks that I've been working on. So maybe I could just share a little work in progress with you guys or something. We could talk about that. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a full song. We could just maybe put out a theme song or whatever. Yeah, that'd be fun. Now, Trevor, when did this new song by Amrith called Viral come out? Uh, so this new song dropped like uh, last night, uh, midnight. So um, yeah, I listened to it at uh, midnight. Well, no, Friday night, right? Friday midnight. So yeah, Yesterday was yeah, Friday. I was yeah, so like basically Thursday night at 12, I was listening to it when I was doing dishes at Chick-fil-A. I thought it's good. I It got really catchy because like the main chorus and what is it called? The, I forgot the word for it. But anyways, the catchy part is uh, it's uh, very uh, viral as the song is also. Hmm. Yeah, I like I was kind of chatting before we started this podcast. It, I mean, I've only heard it the one time before I, before we started recording this. But my impression is that it kind of reminds me of older Amaranth, you know, from their like third, maybe fourth album. Um, their third album is my favorite album, and I think one of their highs as a band. So it reminding me of that is actually kind of a nice thing. I mean, it's not. It's sort of with Amaranth, and I personally have to take it for what it is. Like I, to me, the the lyrics are just there to get the singers to have something to say. I usually don't look deeply into whatever they're saying, you know, to, from, it's, you know, but on the other hand, like, it's really fun to listen to, I think. So it, it's kind of like, it's pop music for people who like metal. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. That's, I mean, that in a kind of like a fun way, you know, it's like not, you know, you got a lot of people who listen to rock or metal who'll be like, you know, fuck that. I'm not going to listen to pop music because that sucks. Yeah. But everybody secretly kind of likes music that's simple and easy to listen to they just don't want to admit it usually mm-hmm. so you can put amaranth on and people are like wow this is great you know we can it's still metal enough for us to let ourselves enjoy <laughs> but yeah i don't know i'm, I'm into it. it makes me kind of curious about the new album because this is kind of a it was so it's it was kind of back to the super over the top you know if you watch the music video it just is so amaranthy you know everything they do like the sort of yeah. acting and like the random scenes and everything and it, the, the signal beam the light at the end it's like that is just so <laughs> over the top the amaranth I, I i just have to love it you know <laughs> yeah i like how they uh, like actually talk about something that's uh pending on like people's minds today it is topical yeah like yeah i think about, it's like, cool how they coronavirus and how people are like yeah go on yeah i think it's cool how they talk about the frustrations of uh, coronavirus and kind of being patient with it and trying to figure out how to rise above it and still be productive and prosperous in this time, although we have restrictions, if you want to say that, to maintain uh, the it is interesting. responsible uh, life. You know, like maybe the situation is different wherever they are or obviously around the world, but in the video they start off depressed and sad and like dwelling on social media or their other vices but then they end up you know training themselves and getting back into a show which is great you know we all wish we could do that this is sort of like the the bite-sized version of the coronavirus comeback that we all wish we had but it is a little bit weird watching that and then right now having to be in the u.s where like our country is just totally shitting the bed right now and it's getting really bad everywhere again so it's like you know we, we can't exactly be just putting on rock shows again here but hey it's a nice dream so at least amaranth can do that for us <laughs> yeah yeah maybe they're just like showing like hey yeah uh, we want to play concerts but i mean like we still play concerts but i mean you guys are not there but i mean we love playing concerts you know <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i'm not it's not like sort of a judgment it's just an interesting thing to see like that be sort of like yeah i guess they're expressing what we all feel right like they really want to get get back out there and do it and uh we all wish we could get back out there and do it with them but i don't know we'll have to see how long that'll take yeah i have like my ticket i had to refund him i think i have to like call him or something but hmm. yeah coronavirus 
Yeah, so uh, Alex, you got to the new uh, Apple ecosystem lately? You yeah, I'm getting into it a little more. I ditched Google Maps for <laughs> the Apple Maps, mainly because I like my Apple Watch, how it uh, works very well um, with it, where it like tells you the directions where to go on the on the watch. I I don't really like how Apple... I was a little surprised when I heard that you got the watch and that phone and everything. It's cool. Yeah, I've always wanted a smartwatch. I had a smartphone as a watch for one time, and it broke, and I never was able to get another one. And, yeah, so it's uh, nice to have a smartwatch. I like it. And honestly, nowadays, I, I still feel like none of the other watches have really caught up to the Apple Watch. Like, absolutely in terms of technology, but also just, like app support and everything like i think it's the best smartwatch currently is probably still the apple watch by far yeah um yeah i have some other thoughts uh yeah i think it's well designed most other watches don't really look very good um i was saying that i think that apple should be a little more fair with others um software because I was using Apple Maps, and it looks like if you pick up your phone to look at your phone for the map, it comes up naturally. But if you do that with Google Maps, the maps does not come up. <laughs> so they kind of play, they sync their own, make they optimize their own software over other people. And they, it seems like they limit other people's software. Um, but You mean you're having a problem getting Google Maps on your phone? No, I have it on my phone, but if I if I'm driving and I want to look at my map and just I have to like swipe up and unlock and all that stuff. But if I have Google or Apple Maps, I just pull it up and it's right there. Oh yeah, that has the deeper integration of the system. That's true. Yeah, but yeah. It, but you're enjoying the watch overall. Yeah, I, I do like it. Um, I use it as my boarding pass today on my flight home. Someone was surprised to see me just put my watch onto the scanner thing and just walk in. It's kind of like a cyborg type thing like we we're talking about. Just scan I my... I know. Like, I remember getting looks at Starbucks like when right when that watch came out and I just like paid with that and they're like, what? How did that happen? And I'm like, yeah, it's on my watch, dude. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the app selection is kind of lower than I expected. I like um, the Apple Watch 5's always on because I think it'd be annoying to have to like flip my wrist every single time I want to look at it. And I realized this week or today that there's a theory mode so it won't be on all night long if you don't want to have the screen on while you're sleeping. You can just turn on theory mode for having it off at nighttime. Yeah, it's interesting that always on thing is something that I've, you know, I, I almost just upgraded just because I always want Apple products, but I, I kept my Series 4 because the, the pretty almost the only difference was the always on screen, so I've, I don't have any experience using it day to day, Yeah. but I've gotten so used to it. It's been like almost five years, I guess, that I've had this, and it's so natural for me to, you know, it, it's pretty reliable when it turns on the screen, so uh-huh. I, like, I don't think that I need the always on, but I bet you if I had it, I would get used to it and I wouldn't want to go back. Yeah, maybe uh, the always-on screen is to attract like new users, kind of. Um, I think most people would expect their <laughs> to be able to see the clock on <laughs> with the <laughs> people not used to looking at a blank clock. Um, and the last thing I wanted to say is I like... It seems like the Apple Watch has higher security than the normal phone, so you don't have to, like log in or sign in in order to text on your apple watch so i like that it's convenient for this era when you have um, face masks so you don't have to uh like use face id that is cool you know because i i guess it it knows that it's it always knows it's authenticated as long as you unlock it that first time because it knows it hasn't left your wrist which is pretty smart yeah um, I'm looking forward to the new Apple uh, Sleep app because I have, I use two sleep apps to use it how I want to. <laughs> um, I use one app to track how well my sleep is and I use another one for like a smart alarm. It's, it's kind of not really optimized yet, I think. I'm not sure. So that's about it.
but uh, that's my thoughts about it. Yeah, Apple's been there's been out the the news in the Apple world has been just coming out, pouring out. You know, this week with WWDC, even in the different format without them actually having a real sort of in person uh, event. There's still been de- things trickling out, and of course, in the massive news dump on Monday, <laughs> which is as an Apple fan, I, this is the first one I've been honestly very excited about for a long time, because you know it's always interesting to hear what's going to happen with iOS and. Um, mac os and like the software updates those are cool but you know those are kind of expected now but the huge rumor um that was come that the switch to arm and apple's own processors was coming uh did of course come true which is pretty awesome you know i'm there are various reasons that some people are have trepidation about that they're kind of not everybody is sure whether it's gonna be a good thing but i i'm i have i'm pretty strong feelings that it's going to be good good for the mac overall you know i'm super enthusiastic Mac user. You know, I love my Macs. I love my computers. I collect old ones. I've been, you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm super into this. And like, I don't see how it could be really a bad thing at all. You know, the performance per watt of their mobile um, SOCs is, it beats everything else. And then it beats most of Intel CPUs in Apple's Macs in single core performance. So it really, I feel like it wouldn't be hard for them at all to make something faster than Intel's CPUs for a phone, let alone if they actually had a much bigger thermal um, sort of budget in, the, in a computer, like a desktop computer. I, I, people think that, oh, they can't make a Mac Pro with an ARM chip. Well, I think they absolutely could. You know, they could, if anything, it'll be, it could be a lot faster than the Intel equivalent. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with the Pro Macs and the big processors because the small ones, like a MacBook Air, you could take an iPad chip and put it in a MacBook Air and it would be just fine. You know, people who buy it would love it. The battery life would be way better. Everything about it would be awesome. But that's kind of a given. Like, what I'm interested to see is how do they deal with things like uh, third-party GPU support in a Pro Mac, you know? Or can they make a GPU that's going to be um, beefy enough for Pro people, you know? Mm-hmm. that's all, all that stuff really makes me interested. I love, even though I don't necessarily have the budget or need to buy all of them, <laughs> seeing what they do with something like the Mac Pro is really just fascinating to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next year or two to see what happens. Yeah, did you, I heard that the, the video said that they're producing these underneath the Apple campus, <laughs> the the one that I helped build. I thought it was kind of crazy. They have a little factory underneath. Oh yeah, there. I mean, I, I don't know if that was like that could have just been for show for fun, right? Like to make it look like it was an underground bunker, but they probably do have labs under there. Yeah, they have. I think they have three layers of. Uh, they have three layers of parking lots underneath that big donut. Thing. <laughs> there's a there's a lot that of makes sense. room UFO, a lot of parking over there. <laughs> I think there's plenty of space to have a factory inside there. <laughs> but yeah, it'll be interesting because of the developer kit that they are going to that they are sending out to developers right now. It's a Mac Mini with the the current iPad chip in it. And the current iPad chip is great, super fast, and it has six. And the developer kit has sixteen gigs of RAM and five twelve SSD, so it's it's like probably a great computer. But it also is the iPad chip is one from like one or two years ago. So I, f- I feel like people are judging. This, they're already judging it on. Oh well, how good can a Mac be with this thing? But nobody's really seen. This is not a Mac chip. This is an iPad chip, and I think that I think there's probably going to be kind of a big difference between that. I think it's going to surprise some people. Maybe I'll be wrong, and they're just going to stuff iPhone chips in there. But uh, from all the talk they've done, and from all the different videos and interviews I've seen, I think they have something more up their sleeve than just repurposing a, like an iPhone CPU. So we'll see. Yeah, they've been customizing chips for yeah. a long, long time. So I think they have plenty of experience on optimizing and all that stuff. <laughs> I think at this point they're basically designing them. You know, it's not even a customization. Like they have their chip team basically design the whole thing. They license the uh, uh-huh. the ARM uh, ARM instruction set or whatever. But I think it's definitely like it's not. It doesn't share much. I don't think with whatever Samsung's using or whatever. I think it's very much like an Apple designed thing. So if anything, it'll be even more custom and uh, probably more high performance when it when the new ones come out later this year. Yeah, it'll be good when uh, Apple's not dependent on. Intel or any other manufacturer. <laughs> um, I mean, they've been slow to update lots of their Macs, but it's, I think it's true that some of Intel's uh, failures basically recently have affected that, you know. Mm-hmm. They've they've delayed their chips, and then some of the chips they did release ran hot, 
compared to the designs Apple wanted to make or anything like that. So I think it's definitely going to help them there. They can just say, well, we know exactly what the CPU is going to be and we know when it's going to come and we know how hot it's going to be. They're going to have full control over it. And I, I don't think that seems really rare. I mean, maybe maybe somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of another time when that when it's happened that a desktop computer manufacturer or obviously laptop, but, you know, when they've owned the whole stack, you know, when they've done the CPU and now the GPU, the whole system on a chip, plus the operating system on a desktop or laptop computer, I think it'll be interesting to see that because we're, that's not really something that's common at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Apple has good stuff coming for them. Yeah, yeah maybe uh, Intel will start stepping it up after they see uh, <laughs> the potential they have against with the ARM I mean, in, in, one, in one sense, you know, the, like... The the Mac market is way smaller than all the PCs that Intel's CPUs power, mm-hmm. so Intel's probably not worried about the numbers that way. But the more the more worrying thing is like if a Mac comes out that's let's say twice as fast as any other given Intel PC or has like twice the battery life or something or both, then it's like then it's just going to make their chips look bad. No matter how even if Macs don't sell that much, it's still going to be all the articles and all the reviews are going to say, you know, look how bad this is comparatively. So I think they have to worry if, if the chips that Apple makes end up being that good and, we, and that we will not know until they show them off. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like if, if, I, were, if I was in charge of Intel, I would be a little more worried about this than, you know, than if any other company was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think Intel even has like much uh, experience working with ARM. I think they just recently started getting into that, right? They're certainly not known for it, but, um, you know, and it's possible that maybe they, because I, I remember this kind of happened to them with the Pentium 4, right? They're, the Pentium 3 was very popular, and then the Pentium 4 obvi- obviously was popular, but the architecture it was built on was inefficient, and it ran really hot, and it was kind of a, as far as I remember, it was just kind of a dead-end thing. You know, people wanted more than it. It was it was kind of stagnating. And then the the core architecture they announced after that, like the core, the core two, basically that chip that lasted a really long time, that kind of surged them forward in performance for what and into into relevance again. I mean, not that they lost relevance, but you know what I mean. They were kind of back onto having kind of cutting edge stuff. And then now it's kind of gone grown a little stagnant, it seems, or they've been unable to hit their marks. So we'll see if maybe they'll just put a huge investment into it and then they'll be able to kind of make another leap for themselves or not. You know, I don't think Intel's going to die anytime soon, but you know, if it if it's a few if it's more years of them just doing small um, performance increases and they still have chips that use a lot of power and run hot, I mean eventually people will seek alternatives. I mean AMD is doing pretty well. So I don't know, we'll yeah. see. It's true. Yeah, AMD is going to be used in all the new next generation consoles, so Intel's going to have to find something to put their processors in. <laughs> well, other than all the Intel-based computers, yeah, the consoles yeah. those are an interesting case. But I, I mean, even on the desktop space, I think for for years people kind of wrote off AMD because they maybe weren't catching up to the highest level of performance. But now their their recent releases have been by almost all accounts, like really good deals. You know, you can get 16 or I think even 32 core, like Threadripper CPUs that are just faster and can do more work than Intel's. And they're, I think, at the same price or cheaper. So it's sort of like, they finally have good competition. So hopefully that's a good thing and it leads to Intel, you know, puts a fire under their ass and they (laughs) kind of innovate again. Otherwise, you know, maybe AMD will just be kind of the, the top choice for a while. I mean, these things sometimes go in cycles. That's true, yeah be uh the day to see M- amd as the main processor in most computers that'd be funny that'd be crazy yeah i mean i don't know back in the day there was amd was popular popular for some different for some reasons i think i forget exactly which one the athlon or the whatever their names were um but they were good chips and they were in lots of they were popular and then they, they kind of fell out of favor for a while but they're definitely coming back into favor now with the reason the reason chips are supposed to be really good I know, in a way, I kind of wish they yeah. offered a Mac Pro with one of those because that'd probably be a great option compared to the Xeons. Yeah, I haven't heard much about the Xeons, but I've heard a lot of good things about the AMD. <laughs> I mean, the, the Xeons are great for what they are, but they're just kind of the same old thing. And I feel like the, it, it, if anything, the AMD ones are just they're cheaper and they do the same amount of work. So they they don't completely replace Xeons, but I'm just saying that that'd be a good option. Maybe make a cheaper Mac Pro that just includes an AMD 16 core processor and is like maybe a couple hundred dollars cheaper probably not (laughs) well the next topic i i wanted to talk about uh self-driving cars again the i'm gonna follow up quickly about their last story 
that we talked with when Nick was here. Amazon confirms their acquisition of Zooks. Zooks is going to be uh, Amazon's autonomous ride-hailing company now. And they acquired it for huh. about $1.2 billion. It seems like they're going to be producing a lot of vehicles. They are also going to support Amazon's uh, delivering. So they'll be they'll be producing yeah, their own sense. cars for ride hailing and delivering packages for Amazon. But the new story is uh, Volvo. <laughs> yeah, Volvo is getting into uh, self-driving cars. Um, they announced a partnership with Waymo on Thursday. They're going to start implementing uh, their self-driving car um, software into uh, two uh, electric car companies that I haven't heard of. <laughs> they have something called uh, Polestar, and they have a Chinese brand called uh, Lincoln Co. They're going to contribute uh, in making uh, robo-taxis and sending out Volvos to... Uh, pick up people and take them places and stuff and yeah so trevor guess uh how many uh car companies that uh, waymo has partnerships with um 20 20 no there's four um do you know of any of them oh <laughs> uh i know volvo but i don't know anyone else yeah we have volvo <laughs> And they have uh, Nissan with their Renault that we've talked about previously. Um, oh yeah. They have the mm. Fiat. No, not Fiat. Is it is the car is the car called Fiat? Or yeah, the Chrysler Fiat cars, and the and Jaguar. And huh. Jaguar. Yeah, I think Jaguar may have been the first or most publicized one. Um, Volvo hasn't produced any electric like cars Jags. yet, but they're planning to release or produce two in the next few years. They have the XC Cross Country 40 Recharge that's coming out, and they're going to make a second Polar Star <laughs> all-electric car. The first one is a hybrid. And the that's good. The second one will be all electric. I'm here for all electric. Yeah, and Volvo is also working with this other company called uh, Luminar. It's a U.S. Uh, startup. And Volvo is going to release a semi-autonomous vehicle with them and try to sell um, kind of like uh, Tesla. I feel like autonomous semis is like one of the best ideas and because people don't have to like drive for like five hours straight just to get to the next city they have to like drop something off at or pick something up mm-hmm. people talk about jobs being lost for that but i mean that's true and that's definitely a huge thing that people are gonna have to deal with uh, economically but if you think about the sort of efficiency of that i mean if if and when deliveries and semis and stuff if they can all be autonomously drive themselves places that's kind of like you said it's the perfect solution for that i mean they they inevitably would be safer drivers and you wouldn't have to pay somebody i mean again this is i'm just saying for people using them it it makes so much sense to have that you know and then yeah there's probably a big industry of people who drive all those trucks who would be out of their jobs and that has to be dealt with but in terms of just efficiency and um safety probably i feel like that's be the, it's the best option once they get good enough they can just drive themselves around yeah my new yeah. job that i work for i work for an electrical contractor and working with electricity is pretty dangerous but what they say is the most dangerous thing for the company is driving <laughs> it's uh yeah, i mean there's a lot of things that conditions that can appear on the road and that's not even counting the person driving. He could be, I don't know, tired or just like out of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was driving home from 
uh, with my project manager and he was kind of distracted. I don't know, maybe he's a little more relaxed when he knows that the road is not uh, very busy, but he was like swerving all over the place, kind of just talking with me. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> Yeah, a little, a little relaxed on how he drove in these small rural um, areas. <laughs> yeah. Speaking about like crashes, you know, mixer crashed and burned to the ground now. Uh, alongside the mixer's uh, network going down, they also uh, taking down physical stores. So I thought that was like for me. I've never seen one, and I actually never really was excited. I mean, I thought it was cool, like oh, surface products and all those like headphones, tablets, and laptops. That's cool. I worked at Best Buy, and they had like their own like in store store in the store Microsoft store, and that was cool. I never actually saw like anyone who like went to a Microsoft store actually. <laughs> like I never saw one. So. Yeah, I've seen I, as I think Microsoft. Maybe I saw. Store. I think I've, I've I walked by one in New York once, and there was one in a mall. But I've never really went in one because <laughs> like, what am I going to do in a Microsoft store? Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> I've seen. A, but I mean, I don't know. I yeah. feel bad because I'm constantly dueling. Like for when I was a kid, I was like, "Fuck Microsoft! I'm all about my my Apple products." And now I'm like. Oh, like poor Microsoft. Their computers are good. More people should buy them. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Like their Surface products are cool, so it's too. You know, in a way, it's kind of sad they're closing the stores because I want. It's cool to have those things in front of more people because if people see them, maybe they'll buy them. Mm-hmm. And I'd rather. I think it'd be good if people bought those compared to like crappy PCs. What were there stores like? Uh close to what the Apple stores look like? Were they like all glass and stuff? Or? Yeah, they were. I mean, honest, I don't, yeah, it's, some of them are pretty funny because it's, yeah, it's a lot of glass, a lot of the backlit advertisements, <laughs> right? It's a similar layout with the tables and stuff. Like it, you, you can kind of tell where they took some of the inspiration, that's for sure. Well, yeah. So are they like well, closed down? Or they... out. <laughs> but did you see that they are closed or are they cl- like planned closed? Like, can we still like go to one now or like it's too well, late? I'm not sure. I, I wonder, <laughs> it probably depends what state you're in too. Cause you know, coronavirus, like could maybe who even knows how, how open they event, how that they got through the, this whole thing. So That's maybe true, they're just yeah. like, well, what's the, well, maybe they're like after this, maybe we're just not going to open again. Or maybe I'm not really sure. Or maybe they'll stay open for a little while. I still, I, I still think that my, I mean, granted I am not a, their business expert at all. I'm just kind of this armchair observer, but uh, I mean, there might be room for like one or two stores still. I mean, there's, I bet you there's still room for a store like that in New York, probably yeah. one in Seattle and maybe like London, like in, in a few room. flagship cities, there's probably still room to have a store where you have enough users who want to go to your store, but maybe they just are not interested anymore. Yeah. Maybe it's just like too expensive to have like personally trained, uh, like employees, whereas they have a store in store place like Best Buy. They just train the employees there and they work on for them, basically. Yeah, or if you maybe if you make products that sell enough from your store, then you can just pay everybody and it's fine. I mean, like that's literally what every other business has to do. Hopefully, Microsoft can invest their money into uh, the Xbox One X series and what well, Series X and aren't they? This rumored X uh, Series S, which is basically. Uh, like a lower cost version of the X that doesn't have a drive. So yeah, that'd be good. Remind me exactly what Mixer was. So Mixer is like, Twitch the, yeah, basically like, so what, what, so Mixer didn't really have like a, like identity, right? They just like the not Twitch community. Basically they have one person they bought was like, I guess they bought a few people like to be on the platform but like i read this article verge like wrote and like twitch and uh the streaming is isn't about like having people just watch videos it's about like a develop uh developing a community mm-hmm. so like mixer tried to buy their community uh, like unorganically by like paying one hundred fifty thousands of dollars to ninja he's like the fortnite player and some other people that stream 
and then like since there wasn't like any like we all I don't know people I guess didn't really identify themselves as like couldn't find anything that makes you actually like brought to them uh, except for being like the not twitch you know mm-hmm. uh, I guess what they did better than twitch was like it's basically twitch but enhanced it had like a couple other features that made it better cooler I don't know so yeah I guess Microsoft pulled the plug and that caused like all these mixer streamers to have to like find where places to go and Facebook is like offering like two hundred fifty, what is it, twenty five thousand dollars for people, or two hundred two thousand five hundred, for people to like start streaming on Facebook instead, and like people don't want like their uh, personal information like attached to where they're watching like all this video like streaming, you know. So a lot of people don't they're not excited to go to Facebook. <laughs> So most of them are just going back to Twitch and yeah, screw yeah. Facebook. I mean, like Facebook is the least tr- trustworthy company. I, I, of course, I say this while I do use Instagram. So hey, you know, hypocrisy. But <laughs> I mean, I, given the choice, I, I feel like wouldn't you want to go anywhere but Facebook for this kind of thing? I don't, I don't know. It seems like it's almost surprising they're even bothering trying. But I guess Facebook has all the money in the world to try. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they didn't really have like much of an audience at uh, Mixer. It's like, uh, yeah, basically it's like you went there to watch Ninja, right? Not like to see like the what's happening in Mixer. It's like I don't know. It wasn't like a community. It's more like you're there to watch. What they did is they bought subscriptions, like people who stream. So it didn't work out. Didn't work. Well, it's sort of like what happens a lot of the time with services or websites. You know, there's maybe an entrenched player or one, you know, one or two players who are really big, whatever that is, Spotify and Apple Music or something. And then some other service, some music service tries to come up and make some big splashy announcement and take it. But ultimately, people want to stay on Spotify or whatever. You know what I mean? It's or the, yeah. or it's probably happened, you know, maybe even more back in the other sort of the older days, uh, maybe 10 or 15, 10 years ago, 15 years ago when this whole web 2.0 thing and people are starting to choose social media sites or music or photo sites or whatever once you get onto one of those it's very difficult to it's, you have to have a really good w- reason to switch even if one person's on another service or two people you like you're less likely to go onto that versus just stay where you are and deal with the fact that you lost that bit of content i don't know i, I feel like this kind of thing has been tried many times before or I, we could even say i mean <laughs> I don't know how well Quibi is doing, but that sort of seems like that's that situation, right? Where they pay lots of money to get these big names, and ultimately, I don't know, people aren't really talking about them right now. You know, I'm not going to say they completely failed, but we're, I'm still, t- you know, I talk to people regularly about what's on Netflix, but nobody ever talks about Quibi, even though they put so much money into it. So you can't always yeah. buy an audience. Sometimes you can, but you can't always. Mm-hmm. I did see that Quibi did, like, allow uh, the Chromecast now, so that's good it's a step in yeah the they've been opening up more when they realize that like people just <laughs> i bet you don't I bet you watch so few phone. people are watching the videos that like <laughs> they'll do anything they can to keep people watching yeah trevor mentioned that you were working on videos and so you want to tell us about your efforts yeah um, as I've mentioned before, I'm interested in, you know, making videos and I, I don't know, I guess the last week and this weekend, I've been a little more finally inspired to just kind of do it. So I set up my camera, my light, and I think I'm just going to do a few small things to start. I thought I would maybe do a series of videos talking about, uh, for people who are beginning shooting film with their cameras, things that would be great to know, like little tips, because mm-hmm. it's easier for me to commit to doing that than it is to kind of come up come up with really big ideas and make these long videos i could probably do that too but you know it feels good to get things done so if i can make a five and a half minute video finish it and be like okay that's done now to the next thing there's there's value in having things that are done so yeah. i finished one thing which is nice and then hope, i'm thinking maybe every week or two i'll finish one it's, it might take me a while but then once i have a handful uh then then i'll put them up because i kind of i don't i want to avoid the thing where i make one thing and then i put it on youtube or whatever else and then I don't make another thing for months. Yeah. Because people like consistency, you know, and I like consistency. So even if it's like I make them and I release them every week or two, 
for a month or two. That's still um, that's still more consistency than I've had before. So right now I'm at the very beginning and I just have one little video, but it wasn't too hard to make. So I just need to come up with some more ideas, which I have a few, and then I'll record them and see what happens. Yeah, you want to get a routine down before you say you're going to do something. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. My, my little setup here, I just the way, the way I'm doing it right now is I have my camera set up. And I don't even have a real tripod. I'm just I screwed onto a light stand, which is not that stable, but whatever. <laughs> and I use one of my photo lights as a as a video light because it has a modeling lamp in it. So it's kind of this hack together thing. But ultimately, the video quality is good because I have a nice camera. Mm-hmm. But I haven't. I don't have right. a remote for it. So like, I have to. I, I walk up to the camera and like I trigger it and set it to record. And I have to go like sit back down in my chair and like straighten out my jacket, and make sure everything, make sure I'm like ready to talk. And then I talk. And then let's say I fuck that one up a couple times. Um, I want to go turn the camera off, so I have to go up, get up, do that. And so in, in the video I made today, um, the quality is fine, but like you can, the jump cuts are so obvious because like every time I sit down and every you know whatever, I'm, I'm used to running my hand through my hair, but then like it looks different in every different segment, <laughs> which is funny. So it's, it's little things like that that are like learning moments where I'm just gonna have to get a remote or you know, honestly, but you know, I could set my phone up to do that. I should check. That's what I was thinking, but yeah, yeah, I guess I just hadn't really thought about it because. I just hadn't, but I guess, yeah. So I need, I just, it's, it's a learning process. Cause you know, I'm, I'm a pretty knowledgeable photo and I'm knowledgeable with video too, but I've never done as much video. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a fun little thing for, I'm just hoping that every time I do it, it gets a little better or a little easier. And then eventually I come up with a routine where I'm like, okay, cool. I can make YouTube video about this and it'd be nice to have things on my channel. But you know, granted I say this every time and then I always drop the ball. So that's why I'm, I'm going to avoid posting this until I have a few to make it look like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. Is this uh, series of videos going to be good for new um, photographers or is it kind of random topics in photography? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's sort of random topics that all relate to people who are starting to use their film cameras to start shooting film. You know, I, what, in my introduction to the first video, I say uh, I've been working at a photo lab now for almost four years. And I answer questions for people. People come in and I, there's a whole range of expertise. You know, hmm. some people have been shooting film for a while and they understand the terms. Other people, they just buy a disposable camera and they bring it back and they say, um, I want this emailed to me. And I'm like, okay, so you want me to scan this? And they're like, what does that mean? So you know, people have a whole bunch of different, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, uh, not levels of knowledge. So I was hoping that maybe now that I've kind of been exposed to what people are asking, maybe I'll have, now I can, I can record my answers and maybe it'll help more people because you know it's and some things people are afraid to ask too like what is the difference between this kind of film and that film or why are you setting your camera this way or what does this word mean it's like why don't i you know i think as, as dumb as some of it will sound to people who are, are knowledgeable i think it's good to have like a basics thing to just tell people the very basics i was making a video about slide film today and i was like talking about you know, back in the day, this film would be cut out individually and put into cardboard mounts or little plastic ones. You could put those into carousels into a projector and project it on the wall. Yeah. And part of me is like, well, yeah, hello, duh. But like, truly, we've gotten to the point now where people, young people who are shooting film now have never even seen those probably. You know, they, they might know yeah. about them, but I think maybe I'm, you know, I'm 27 now, I'll be 28 in a few months. When I was a kid, it was right kind of at the end of when that was still happening. You know, I, I remember a few family slideshows where we use a, mm-hmm. a carousel projector but I mean, you know, people born in the late nineties or you could be born in 2000. Like you, nobody was doing slide projectors yeah. then. So, you know, I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to find a balance of like, of like not being so stupidly obvious, but also like, you know, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> like that's the reason this is called that is because of the history of it. So it's, it's kind of funny. I'm still trying to find a balance of basically how, how simple I want to make it versus how complex, but I'm trying to err on the simple side and make it easy for people to understand. Yeah, it's cool that you have a perspective to serve customers that you've actually dealt with. It's like it's, it gives me a good idea of what I need to answer in my videos. Yeah, it seems like you'd have uh, plenty yeah, to good. work with. Yeah, I bet you uh, after that you can probably uh, I don't know get more into uh, more technical stuff and. Yeah, yeah I, like one of the videos I put on my channel like six months ago was pretty technical you know there's a difference between two high-end pro film scanners that film labs use and a lot of people are never it's too obscure it's very niche for a lot of people so you know it's not it doesn't have a huge market or whatever a huge audience 
but it's what I'm interested in. So, you know, I like to do things that I'm interested in, but I also like to do things that I think have an audience. So we'll see. Do you think you'll uh, post these videos by the next time we uh, record again at the end of next month? Uh, it's hard to say. Uh, depending on how fast I work and how long it takes us to record again, maybe. Um, so uh, we'll see. If I, I, I might just break down and post it anyway because I'm excited to have something new. <laughs> but I'm really trying to at least record like two or three more, just like I said, so I have more content to sit on that I can release. Yeah, we usually record at the end of each month, so we'll see. Yeah. Speaking about lighting, I thought this... Uh technology is interesting to have in uh today's uh, coronavirus uh weather uh this uh i guess it's not new but this technology has been a while, uh, around for a while but they found that uh there's a new well not new there's a a way that you can use far uvc lighting to uh kill airborne airborne coronavirus and uh sounds promising to me and it it, it takes <laughs> like i think up to 25 minutes for it to get all like 99.9 percent of it and you wouldn't you don't want it to be like in rooms where it's occupied but you can use it in like empty rooms yeah like if it's like a hallway or something so you turn it on and then kills it like you, i could see it like being used in like airports or like yeah, uh, hospital halls and stuff like that. So seems like a good second line of defense. I think I heard that they do do that with airplanes, what? where they roll this machine up and shoot all these things all over the place to clean it up, clean up the airplane, huh. and then good. they roll it out. I've, I've heard, I think I heard uh, that a company did as that. An, as an additional measure. It seems like a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. Like obviously things like cleaning and wearing face coverings and all that like come first but if if this also happens to help and you can roll it into places that are not being used like whatever i mean i'm here for anything that reduces the spread of coronavirus to be honest now yeah it's getting a little yeah ridiculous it now. doesn't seem like entirely cheap though because people are saying like oh this uv stuff you, like don't buy it on, it's not the thing you can buy on amazon like it's harmful for your skin like yeah it's, obviously it's not that probably a lot more more expensive because you had to like actually set it up and bigger more involved it's for uvc not yeah, like so i mean like little uv small yeah, small thing. local taqueria might not be able to afford it or your, your little your favorite like you know hobby store or something versus like maybe a big institutional place could probably buy a few of them and then use them yeah uh-huh. yeah i mean maybe for schools opening up or like a university or Maybe it'll be part of the janitor's routine to go into each room and use this to clean up. <laughs> yeah. Because, I don't know, no one likes to wipe down tables and stuff. Like, it takes a long time and, it's, yeah, it's annoying. I had a story about coronavirus, too. Um, or Trevor previously mentioned that I want to get this uh, smart ring. Most smart rings I've explored. I love wearable technology, and I've <laughs> most smart rings are not very smart, but this one is really smart. It's uh, called the uh, Aura. This smart ring takes a lot of um, measures, a lot of indicators in your body, and it assigns you a score on how healthy you are. And one thing customers started realizing is that. Uh, they see a pattern and then all of a sudden um their score went down like 30 points and then they they go get tested for covid 19 and they found that it's an indicator <laughs> the the um the mba is actually using these rings to be able to help people track and maybe find early uh indicators that people might have covid 19 and uh, the CEO was saying that uh, we we didn't intend to f- for this, but it's a good benefit. I kind of want to s- use it. Yeah, is it expensive or is it like reasonably priced? Uh, it's a few hundred dollars. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> I could look it up. Did you hear about that um, that additional 
Apple Watch feature they're going to add that's going to, I guess it'll detect when you're washing your hands and, like, time you to make sure you're doing it long enough and then tell you when it's done, when you're done. Yeah, I saw that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be annoying. I was like, yeah, that is, it's good, but it's also like, wow, we're at the point now where we have to have our digital watches remind us to wash our hands long enough to prevent the spread of a really bad disease. Like, what is, this is 2020 if I've never heard of anything else. <laughs> like, do people really think you can just wash away everything in, like, five seconds? I don't know. Yeah, the rings cost $300. Yeah. It looks- is it, like, always on or something? Or like, how does it work? Well, when you look in it, it has a bunch of sensors on the inside. It uh, gets data from your veins, probably, in your hand. And somehow it gathers all this data about you so it could know your sleep habits and help you be able to track all of these things. We talked about the... um, IOB uh, a couple podcasts ago <laughs> you know the internet of things internet, and internet, internet of, bodies. of bodies yeah this will get you data about yourself so so the ring it's always on right and yeah. it has all these sensors like do you have to like charge it or something how's that yeah you charge it once every few days or so it has a oh that's it doesn't have a like display or anything that you need to uh, light up or anything. I think it's a pretty minimalistic battery um, load. Yeah, just talks to your phone or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this uh, last topic I have, uh, I thought it was very interesting because like has uh, a lot of uh, not technical, but like. Uh, interesting uh, weights that scientists look for in like stars in the heavenly skies so <laughs> what they noticed is that there might be something called a black neutron star do you know anything about neutron stars Nick by chance I mean not a lot <laughs> I watch a lot of astrophysics videos on YouTube but like I don't always retain everything I just find it really fascinating to listen to in the moment <laughs> <laughs> Well, so neutron stars, what they are um, usually is, is basically the star like collapse on itself and they form neutrons, and uh, the force between the neutrons is known as like degeneracy pressure, and it pushes the particles apart and makes like a gravitational force, and then like I guess like the material form from like material from the stars are so tightly packed that one teaspoon of it is like 10 million tons <laughs> it's, it's crazy so that's pretty fascinating how that all works we, we have no sense of that kind of scale just being <laughs> human beings on this planet but that's why it's so interesting to learn about all that stuff because it, it works in a scale that was difficult for us to even comprehend yeah so uh, this black neutron star in theory would be uh so there's a certain like mass that uh has to be basically like triggered or tripped for a star to like form a black hole but like i guess this theory of like this black neutron neutron uh, star that they've been uh observing is like it's either it's uh light the lightest black hole ever or it's like the heaviest neutron star ever hmm. and uh, hmm. so the instruments detected uh, what it was is like a collision of a black hole 23 times the mass of our sun with the object of 2.6 solar masses so solar mass would be like the mass of your sun it's, it's a common measurement they use in astrophysics because like it's easy something to like compare weights and masses to so yeah it's uh but it makes it so like the the lighter object is more massive than the heaviest type of dead star or neutron star and also lighter than the lightest black hole previously observed and i guess like 
astronomers have been searching for objects like this, and they call it like the mass gap because it's between two different masses that are so big. And hmm, that's cool. I love when things like that are discovered. It's like yeah, it's <laughs> there's been stories like things like that, or the SpaceX launch, or you know that kind of stuff. It's like at least there's a few interesting and good things still happening right now. The, we have, we're so flooded with alarming news and you know the world's a fucked up place right now but then it's cool like at least some people are able to do their jobs and just keep studying things that are really um inspiring like that yeah and i guess the way they are uh, finding these are like they shoot a laser and the later uh the laser is like uh they uh they detect ripples through like whatever is passed through the, the laser there's a graph here, I just... So it shows, like, the laser and the beam splitter, and there's, like, two mirrors. And then, um... It, like, detects a gravitational wave. And I, I guess that's how they find these uh, very massive stars. They have these gravitational waves, like, expulsed by them. That's crazy. Yeah, it says, a laser is fed into the machine, and then the beam is, like, split along two paths. And then the paths bounce back and forth, and between the damped mirrors, and eventually the two light parts are recombined and sent to a detector. The gravitational waves pass through the lab, and should disturb the setup, and then it combines the beam and captures the signal. Cool shit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty interesting basically this also could challenge a lot of uh, theories like now a lot of theories that were before maybe like not so plausible or possible and some that were possible or like like you know this most theories are not completely proven so this opens up more theories and yeah that's my uh, astrophysics news for this week <laughs> <laughs> Do you uh, have nice. any ideas uh, what theories might be uh, opening up or new ideas? Uh, that not really. It didn't really mention in this article from the BBC, but... Oh, okay. I mean, it just said, like, a bunch of theories, right, are, that are tested have some kind of flaw, and this kind of uh, has scientists reconsidering a lot of them, so they're going back through these. That's cool. <laughs> One of the current theories suggests that gravitational force would overcome the de degeneracy pressure if the neutron star were much larger than two solar masses and can cause it to collapse into a black hole. So I guess because the smaller one was like slightly bigger than two solar masses, then it's, it's possible it's like a super light black hole. Like, but what what really triggers a black hole, you know? Like, I guess that's what scientists are trying to figure out. Hmm. We covered a lot. There's, uh, we're excited for uh, Nick's uh, productivity that he's uh, trying to push some momentum on. And we're grateful to be able to share some of his uh, creativity with you. And... Thank you for sharing it with us. It's always fun. Yeah, that's pretty catchy. <laughs> thank you. Say so that wraps it up for this podcast. Well, thanks for having me on again. Yeah, talk to you yes. later. See you with you on the podcast next month. <laughs> cool. Later. Bye. And see you. Cyborg, I am learning like a great dark engine turning with a hive mind, feeling mounting with a group voice. Hear them chanting, We are empowered, we are the ones running through the copper veins. We are empowered, we are the ones in
turning from the knife's edge to the deep end. Make believe we love the wasteland. We are about work. We are the ones running through the copper veins. We are about work. We are the ones in the cynical embrace. Mr. Green. 